Well, good morning, Oakwood. Welcome this morning as we uh, go into the Word of God this morning. The passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, turn to that, or you can follow along in the app this morning. If you're using one of our Bibles that's right there in front of you, uh, just grab that Bible, turn it to page 955, 955, and you'll be right there at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're in a series, been in a series for the last few weeks called Inside the Lines, allowing God's boundaries to guide our lives. And uh, today is part four of that series. The title of the message is Flee, Yes, Run for the Hills. We'll be talking about what that means. Just a reminder, too, as we talked about at the beginning of the service, is uh, if we're going to rate this sermon today, it's PG-13 because of content. So just want to let parents know it's a great day to try children's church if you've got little ones in church. You know, the deal is, is that um, this is one of those topics that, you know, I was talking to people between services that had attended first service, and it's like funny because they're like, man, I was just nervous, the topic. And it's like, you know what? I'm as nervous to preach about this as you all are to hear it, okay? So if you think that this is like, oh, you know, Eric loves to talk about sexual immorality. It's like, no, that's, that's not it at all. So um, I was reminded, though, as I was writing this, um, in 2006, with a couple of youth ministers here at the church, uh, I helped do a retreat in Clinton, Oklahoma. The, the theme for the retreat, or the title of the theme for the retreat was Get Off the Fence. And we went down to Clinton, Oklahoma. We went down to this place, the Chi Alpha House, a ministry I'd been a part of for uh, years before that. And the whole, the whole thought of it was to get these, these teenagers, these ones in the youth group, off of the fence because we felt like so many of them were, were like on a tightrope act on, on a fence. We, I remember we had these t-shirts made and it had just a wooden fence kind of at an angle and it had somebody just standing on top of the fence with their hands in their pockets and you could just see this, this contemplation of like, am I in this side or am I in this side? You know, am I going to walk in the way of the world or am I going to walk in the way of Christ? And this is one of those areas that we're going to talk about today where I think a lot of people are there. They're kind of on the fence and you really, if you're going to be honest about it, you got to jump in one side of this or you got to jump in the other. And there are things that we can do in and, and, and applying God's guidelines to our lives to help prevent some pain and some heartache in this. And so um, I, I think it's going to be uh, just a very informative time this morning. Because here, here's the deal is, temptation in our lives is there all the time. And a lot of times, a lot of us, we, if we're being honest, we live on the edge of temptation, you know, in our finances. You know, it's like, do we manage them God's way or our way? In, in our friendships, you know, am I going to relate in a pattern that honors God or my own way? You know, uh, moral decisions that we have to make. Sometimes in our businesses and the ethics of how we run our businesses and organizations. And sometimes, of course, in our relationships, which is what we're going to be focusing on today. And today we're going to talk about an area of life that is unlike any other area in your life. And we're going to be talking about sexual purity. Now, you may say, why? Why do we need to talk about this? It's because we're challenged in Scripture to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God, not just the parts that are comfortable for us. Now, if we would wield this one area under control, and I'm talking about the whole world, not just Christians, not just church people, but if you can imagine a world, a culture, where we could wield and bring under God's control and within His boundaries and guidelines, this area, if could get it right it would really transform the culture okay now some of these things you have to think through why this would affect these things but like there would be less poverty in the world if we could bring under control of God's sexual purity there would be fewer unwanted pregnancies now it's an obvious one there would be fewer men in prison 
There would be thousands of children who would be tucked in bed every night by their moms and their dads. There would be less domestic violence in the world. There would be fewer children in the foster care system. Our inner city cultures would be completely transformed if our world could bring about one area of life and bring it under the headship and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, I think that many preachers, uh, they kind of feel like Old Testament prophets. It's like we're crying out in the wilderness, but for the most part, we're being ignored. And if you're going to allow God to get some guidelines in this area of your life, and his guidelines, remember, they're there to direct and to protect you, then these guidelines require the greatest resolve and the strongest boundaries. And you may say, why? Why is this such a big deal? Because this is the sin that is the hardest to recover from. This sin is the hardest to recover from. I think it is possible in a much easier way to fully recover from a bad financial decision. I mean, yes, yeah, some of you may be going through that and you're, and you're paying a price for that, but you can come back from a bad financial decision. You, you can come back from a professional disaster. You just made some bad choices. You did something immoral or illegal. You, you can come back easier from neglecting your health. Maybe you neglected your health for a time. Maybe it's being in trouble with the law. Well, you can come back from that. Or maybe there's other marriage problems that you have. But I'm here to tell you this morning that sexual sin is unlike any other sin that is committed. Not because it is more offensive to God. Not because it is, not, is the unforgivable sin in any way, shape, or form. It is only from the damage it does to you and usually to someone else. And there is generational damage from sexual sin. I was talking to somebody about this between services. Family trees sometimes are changed because of sexual sin. It transitions to generations in your life. It transitions sometimes through memories, sometimes through you know, diseases, sometimes through a reputation, sometimes just through a guilt complex, and sometimes through huge trust issues. And sometimes it goes underground. It goes underground for sometimes years. But then it has this nasty way of resurfacing later. Because it seems like we just can't quite get over it. It always complicates your life. It always seems like it has a way of catching back up with you someday at some point. And part of the reason for this is that sex is not just physical it ties you to someone for life. One of our elders once said, it described it as this, is when you have sex with another person, is a soul tie to that person. Physically, emotionally, psychologically, you are bonded to this person, whether you want to admit it or not. Scripture says that sexual union is a picture of two becoming one flesh. Now you think about the implications of that. They are vast. So here's the bottom line. Here's what I want you to understand this morning. Sex outside of marriage, whether it's before marriage or during marriage, sex outside of marriage is the best way to mess up your life. It is the best way. If you want to send your life into a spin, then, then do something in this area. Make a mistake in this area. Now, I want you to please note that the Bible never says that sex is for engaged people, that sex is for in love people, that sex is for dating people, or that sex is for people who like to live together. Sex is for married people. It's between one husband and one wife, period, and that's it. And that's all the Bible says about it. And when you choose to do this before you are married, you are destroying the intimacy of your marriage even before it starts. 
When you do this outside of your current marriage, you are destroying the intimacy within your marriage, and it will never be quite the same. Now, I want to give you hope this morning. I'm not saying you can't be redeemed. I'm not saying you can't get God to give a big comeback in this area. I'm not saying that you can't be forgiven. I'm just saying there's something there, and it's never quite the same. And you will always have to work hard to recover and to protect the trust and the intimacy of your marriage for the rest of your life. And because of this, Paul penned these words. Follow along here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 says this. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Let's read 18 again. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Let's pause there for a second. Notice that the Scripture at the very beginning of this verse says to flee. It doesn't say, hey, be careful. It doesn't say, hey, watch out. It doesn't say, hey, you can get pretty close to the line on this one, but no, it says flee, run away. You want to know what that means? It means run, baby, run. It reminds me of Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph way back in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis? First book of the Bible, we already see that sexual sin has a problem. It's already creating problems in people's, people's lives. Uh, we got the deal with Abraham um, taking his maidservant. And, and, and then we get here to the story of Joseph. And Joseph is working um, in Egypt in a, in a very powerful man's house named Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife decides, hey, I'd like to have a piece of Joseph. And so she actually makes a play for Joseph. And if you remember the story, what does he do? When she's coming on to him and she's trying to take off his cloak, he literally leaves his cloak with her and runs. So you see this just fleshed out right there at the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis that someone, someone fled. I said fleed in the first service and everybody laughed, so caught it this service, okay? It, it, someone fled. Someone ran away from it. They didn't mess around with it. They didn't wait around to see what was going to happen. Joseph didn't say, man, I'm going to test my self-control in this area. No, he ran away from it. He got completely away from the situation. I know some of you are saying, well, that's really extreme though. Because you know, I've got to live life in this world. And, but I want you to think about this. This is exactly what every husband wants his wife to do. Is to flee from sexual immorality. This is what every wife wishes her husband would do. This is what every engaged individual hopes that his or her fiancé will do. This is what every parent wishes that their kids would do. I would even go as far as to say this is what a lot of employers wishes their employees would do. And some of us, we're really good at embracing this for ourselves. I mean, we like, we like say, oh, I embrace this for my sister. I embrace this for my brother. You know, but when it comes to me personally, I like to get right up to the line. And the fact is that we don't flee sometimes when we should. We flirt. And we're right on the edge of disaster. Now, here's the truth. Our culture baits us to the edge of disaster in this area and then mocks us when we step over the edge. Think about it. Our culture baits us to the edge of disaster in this area of life and then mocks us when we step over the edge. Everyone I've ever met, I've never met a person in my life that says they're for teenage pregnancy. 
Everybody I've ever met in my life says they are against teenage pregnancy. I've never met a person that says, I think teenagers getting pregnant is a great idea. Everybody's against it. We could all stack hands on that. No one thinks that's a good idea. Something we can all probably agree on. Even you know, Democrats and Republicans could probably, could probably agree on this area. Now, you have to pay attention, though, to our world and our culture because how do we market to teenage girls today? Has anyone been to a mall or to a clothing store lately? Looked, shopped online? Have you seen what our culture does? I'm about to say something that is absolutely true but may be offensive to some. So if you're easily offensive, offended, then plug your ears for like 30 seconds, okay? Our ladies' clothing today is so short and form-fitting and showy and low-cut What we market to young girls today of what they should wear, if they showed up in these clothes 40 years ago, normal people at that time would have thought they were prostitutes. And if you don't believe me, you can ask your grandma. Because grandma will tell you that's exactly how it is. Yeah. And you know, it's weird because I, I, I one time had somebody that was sharing with me and they're like, yeah, I think my husband might have a little internet problem. And I told him the other night, you should just turn off the computer and just come watch Dancing with the Stars with me. Really? Have you seen Dancing with the Stars? We entertain ourselves with adultery on TV. We don't call it adultery on TV, we call it affairs, okay? And in the movies, and then you really kind of get disgusted, though, when someone actually does that in real life, don't you? I can't believe he did that. Oh, I can't believe she did that. Think about this. Off the top of your head, when was the last time you saw a movie or a TV show with a passionate love scene between two married people? Can't you name, right off the top of your head, a movie that shows two happily married people together? Right off the top of your head, you just can't do it. It's because that's not where culture and society and the world is taking us. So Paul's advice really makes sense, doesn't it? He says, don't think about it. Don't mess around with it. Don't stay on the edge of disaster. Don't put yourself in those tempting situations over and over again and, and to see what kind of resolve you have. Don't test yourself in this area. All he says is flee, run away from it. His advice makes sense. Flee from sexual immorality and all of its ugly and all of its destructive consequences. But if you are a Christian, then we have further incentive. Look at the next two verses, 1 Corinthians 6. Look at the next two, 19 and 20. It says this, Or do you not know? It's a question, and I like how, how Paul does it here. He says, flee from it, get away from it. It's outside your body. You're sinning against your own body. And he says, or do you not know? Like you should already know this as, as a Christian. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Whom you have from God? He says, you are not your own. If you're a Christian, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Do you not know that you are the temple and that the Holy Spirit of God is within you? You know, John 13 through 17, and we've talked about this before, the upper room discourse. Jesus is with the disciples and he's teaching them before he leaves. And he tells them several times that the helper, the advocate, the counselor, which is our English words for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's going to come. And so Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us, but he's telling us, here comes the Holy Spirit and God is not going to be with us. God is going to be in us because the Holy Spirit dwells in you as a believer. God lives in you and God put himself in you. And when God puts himself in you as a believer, then your body is holy and it is sacred and it reflects the image of God. 
And when you have sexual immorality with God's Holy Spirit temple, it's degrading who you are in Christ. It's not taking serious the sacrifice of Jesus. And ultimately, it's offensive to God. And in verse 19, the second part there, it says, you are not your own. Boy, isn't that telling. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. What was the price? The Son of God died a torturous, cruel death on a cross, was hung on a cross to pay for your soul, to buy you back to God. You were bought with a price, so therefore glorify God in your body. And you have to decide, is this going to be a priority in your life? How important is this to you? I don't understand why some people decide, this is really important for my little sister. It is really important for Melissa. It is really important for my best friend. This is really, really important for my brother. It's really, really important for my employees. But it's not a priority in their own life. I mean, how do you, how do you want your spouse or your future spouse or your kids to manage this area of their lives? Do you want them right there on the line, on the edge, flirting with disaster, following culture? No. But what about for yourself? Do you think that if you made a mistake in this area that you would pray for God's help? If you broke your marriage covenant, would you cry out to God for His help? If there was an unplanned or unwanted pregnancy, do you think you would cry out to God for help? If someone came down with some type of disease, do you think you might cry out to God for help? Maybe, you have, maybe you've committed adultery, you've had this affair, and there's this fear of discovery. You think you might start crying out to God for help? And this goes as far as maybe there's an internet addiction. Would you cry out for help? I think you will pray. And you'll pray like you've never prayed before because the consequences of this sin are so intense. And, and the consequences are so wide and so deep in your life. I think even atheists find prayer and believe in God suddenly in these times. And they will cry out and say, God, help me. Now, just in my cynical way, I don't think God is this way, but just in my cynical way, I sometimes think when you cry out to God in that moment, why would God not whisper, I tried to help you? I was talking to you through that guy with the mic strapped to his face. And you just laughed and thought, oh, preachers nowadays. The, the fact is, is you will ask God, what do I do now? God, what, do I, what am I supposed to do? And God's going to say, you need to download that sermon or you need to get the CD copy and listen to the part where he says about getting inside the lines. Because the consequences of this sin are only going to hurt you in so deep and so many bad ways. I cannot tell you the number of times in counseling where couples come and it always goes back to this. I've had couples that had been together for 25 or 30 years that were still dealing with repercussions of decisions they made in their early 20s. And I don't want to make light of this in any way because the consequences of these sins are very extremely serious. I've seen entire lives, marriages, family trees ruined by sexual sin. And God wants to help us. He wants us to have his guidelines in life. And so God is telling us this morning that you need to flee in this area. Don't think about it for another second. Just run for the hills. Now, I don't want to just leave you here this morning with this. I want to give you some very practical guidelines in this area. 
And these are based on real circumstances and real situations through the years. Some of these are, are, are based on, on things that, that I, I've talked to my wife about. We've established some boundaries in, this area, in these areas. But if you want to get inside the lines in this area of your life, I promise you this, you will not be disappointed. I've never met someone that sets these type of boundaries and says, oh man, I'm so disappointed. No. These are things that are going to protect you for life. Get inside the lines here. The first group I want to talk to is married people. Okay, married people. I still want single people to stay engaged with me right now, but for married people first. Here's, here's, here's just some practical, practical advice in this area of flee from sexual immorality. Okay, number one, don't travel alone with members of the opposite sex that are not your spouse. Okay, do not travel alone with members of the opposite sex. If you have to, I, I, I one time had somebody tell me, I don't have a choice, I have to. They put us on a plane together, we ride in a rental car together, I don't have a choice, they're not going to pay more money to separate us, I have to travel with someone of the opposite sex. Then I want you to tell your spouse about it and stay in contact with your spouse at every turn of that trip. I ask our church staff to abide by this. We don't travel alone with members of the opposite sex. Sometimes to us it feels so silly that if we're going to the t-shirt store and you're going to the t-shirt store, we don't just hop in a car, save the gas money, and ride together. It's dangerous. It's a slippery slope. It gives the appearance of impropriety. And married people don't travel alone with someone of the opposite sex. My best piece of advice. Number two, don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex. In the Bible, when Jesus ate with people, when the disciples ate with people, this was a sign of association and intimacy. This was a sign that I want to know you and you want to know me. And so because of that, that, that same thing carries over today. You just don't share a meal with just anyone. And so when you're out having lunch with someone other than your spouse and I see you there, it is really weird for me. It is really, really weird for me to see you out with someone other than your spouse, laughing and having a good time. And so my best piece of advice is don't eat alone with members of the opposite sex. It's just weird. It's just weird. It doesn't look right. It feels weird. It makes me want to pray for you even more. Third thing, don't hire members of the opposite sex because you want to help them. Or don't even get involved with members of the opposite sex because you want to help them. So many times the victims come and they end up in this relationship together. I mean, I heard about this not too long ago with a, with a minister who's really trying to help a lady. And then this thing happened and it's like, it's terrible, it's horrible. Okay, so you have to understand, they can get help from somewhere else. Especially if you find them attractive. Only help unattractive members of the opposite sex <laughs> only when you have to. Okay? Set a boundary there. Okay, talk to your spouse about this. Talk to your spouse about this. Find out where those boundaries can be. I mean, we do things here in the office uh, sometimes. We have people come in, they want to talk to us. We get kind of cornered in our office. That's why we have windows in our doors. That's why we tell our secretaries, stay outside my office till she's gone. And it's not because we don't trust you or trust whoever came in. It has nothing to do with that. It just has to do with we want to make sure that we guard ourselves in this area. That there would not be any type of emotional attachment in this area. The fourth thing, don't confide in, in or counsel members of the opposite sex. Okay, Get them help. Don't be their help. You, some people, I heard a lady one time tell me, well, yeah, but I really feel like he needs me. No, he doesn't need you. He needs help. He doesn't need you to help him. can't tell you how many times through the years people say, oh, I want you to help me. And then when you say no sometimes or you set a boundary or you pass them on to someone else, they say, well, don't you care? Not that much. Not more than I care about my wife, my kids, or my marriage. I'm sorry. Set a boundary there. 
But you're not going to confide or counsel members of the opposite sex. That's why a lot of times on church staff, once again, we'll send to same-sex people or we'll send outside to a counselor. We have to be careful in those situations. The fifth thing for married people, when you feel like your heart or your desire is drifting toward a specific person, you need to tell somebody and you need to be brought under accountability in that area. If you are married, you should tell your spouse, everybody you're with and everybody you talk to and everybody you think about, and you need to set some boundaries there. And you need to communicate with each other about this, okay? Now here's some things that fall kind of under this category when you feel like your heart is starting to drift, the desire's trying to starting to drift. It always starts with curiosity. It always starts with curiosity. So, best piece of advice, don't friend old boyfriends and girlfriends on Facebook. Don't friend them. Don't be curious about, man, I wonder how they're doing. You know, I talked to them in 19 years because I guarantee you they're not happy in their marriage and you're struggling in yours. And you get together and commiserate your misery and it just nothing good comes from it. So don't friend old boyfriends or girlfriends on Facebook. In fact, go home today, unfriend them. Uh, tell them it's not personal. Okay, Just tell them it's from the Lord. Don't text you by your preacher. My preacher told me to do this, so sorry. Talk to, talk to you on the other side. Okay, don't text old boyfriends or girlfriends. Don't text old boyfriends or girlfriends. Okay, next one. Don't email old boyfriends or girlfriends. Next one. Don't talk to old boyfriends or girlfriends. When you have had that kind of relationship with someone, you can get sucked back into it so easily and so fast. And I've seen so many people just get sucked back into this. I mean, before, there was no intentionality there. It just like, whoop, and you know, now we're talking again. Now we're hiding it on Facebook, and I gotta pretend like I'm not her friend or hide her conversation. I gotta hide my phone and my text messages, and I can't let her see who I called. And now my email is always clean. My inbox was had thousands of messages. Now it's zero messages every day. We start hiding it, folks. I promise you, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he will use this stuff. So just it's important that you set a boundary here. I know most of us are innocent people. But when you set a boundary here, when you hit this boundary, it's like a warning like we talked about last week. The alarm goes off to tell you we have a problem. Draw attention to this problem and make sure we stay within God's boundaries for it. Now, for single people, single people, it's much easier here. So single people. Uh, first piece of advice, gouge out, gouge out your eyes with a spoon. Okay? <laughs> gouge out. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to gouge out your eyes. But... You need to have covenant eyes. Covenant eyes. Talks about it in the book of Jeremiah. I believe it also talks about it in the book of Ezekiel. That we have to have covenant eyes. Eyes that, I mean, Jesus takes, says it this way. Don't even look at a woman lustfully. So we've we got to keep our, our eyes to ourselves and not get down this pathway of lust or what could be or, or, or what we think ought to be. It, it leads to sinfulness. It's not good. Uh, second thing is apply the married people's guidelines that we just went over in your relationships with married people. Don't go to lunch with them. Don't get counseled by them. Don't have them help you. Just apply all those guidelines there, and it will be awesome. And the third piece of advice, the best piece of advice ever, is no sleepovers ever. No sleepovers ever. Sleepovers are for nine-year-olds, okay? This includes living together or any appearance of playing house together, okay? It's too tempting. It's, it's just too tempting. And I hear it so many times today about finances. Well, I just can't afford, and she can't afford her own place, so we thought, hey, let's live together. It's, you're putting yourself, do you love this person? I, I actually I had a lady say this um, not too long ago. And I was like, do you love him? She's like, oh yeah, I love him. Passionately, just with all of your, yes, you want to marry him today? Yes, it's like, it's too tempting to be under the same roof. 
And oh, but we go to separate bedrooms every night. It's like it's too tempting what happens in the living room then. I mean, it's, it's just too tempting. Don't, don't do it. Just don't go there. And here's another thing I would say. I'll speak to ladies, but also speak to the guys in this area. It's setting boundaries about living together before you're married. If you want to set that boundary there, and God says, hey, I don't want you to be in these tempting situations. Flee from it. Fleeing from it is not coming together under the same household. Okay? If that other person doesn't respect that boundary, then I would say they don't really, really love you. Okay? And I'll even go a step further. If he doesn't establish the boundary for you as the spiritual leader in your home, then he doesn't love you like God wants you to be loved. According to the Scripture... Okay, and I know, we, we talk about this stuff, you say, well, this is really extreme, okay? But I just want to be honest with you. I've seen too many hurt lives, messed up marriages, and messed up families because of this area. I think that's why Paul doesn't mix words here. He just says, flee. Run away from it. Don't get caught up in it. Don't get in the tempting situation of it. Because honestly, I don't think you're going to look back five years from now and you're going to regret this kind of decision of putting some boundaries up in your life in this area. I've never had someone come to me in any form of pastoral advisement or counseling, whatever you want to call it, where they have said, man, I wish I'd had more sleepovers. I wish there's more people out there in my life that I hope I never, ever run into ever again. I've never heard anyone say that. Because I want to tell you this morning, and I want to encourage you, if you are married, that's how you have an extremely awesome marriage is you are the only one for me kind of marriage. You have this great romance in marriage that is fueled by an absolute sense of absolute ex exclusivity. You are the only one for me is what you would say. I only have eyes for you. You are the only one I want. You are the only one I'm going to share my heart and my feelings and my emotions and my life with and no other person is going to hear any of that and I'm not going to share my body or any part of me with anyone else. And so decide this morning. Flee or flirt. Because if you flee, you're choosing to honor God with your body the scripture says. But to do that, you have to make a mental decision now that I'm going to get inside the lines. Now, for some of you this morning, as you've been sitting here, you have had a pit in your stomach the entire time because you've made a mistake in this area or because you're hiding something from your spouse or your betrothed, your fiance right now. And I just want to encourage you with this, okay? Jesus died on the cross to save us. And he saves us from all of our sins. He doesn't say, well, I'm going to save you from all your sins, except if you did this before marriage or did this in your marriage. And so I don't want you to leave this morning dejected. Now, I think the Holy Spirit sometimes does his best work through making us feel guilty about something that we did. I'm here to tell you this morning that the intention is not that you would walk with guilt for the rest of your life. The, the, the intention of that guilt from the Holy Spirit would be that it would lead to repentance, which would lead to salvation, which would leave no regrets. But if you only have worldly sorrow about it, the Scripture says that it leads to death. 
I just want to offer you hope this morning that Jesus wants you to come to Him, to come clean, to ask for forgiveness, and to go forward in a new direction in your life where you have these boundaries in place and where you will never again do something like that because you decide today, I'm going to flee. I'm going to flee and I'm never going to do that again. And in so, making those decisions, you are honoring God with this area of your life and you will be blessed. You'll be blessed. So if you're struggling this morning, don't lose the hope of Jesus' blood redeeming you on the cross of Calvary. But you have to make that choice to surrender your heart and your life to Him. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to uh, this time of invitation. And God, I don't want to miss the fact that You love us so much, that You care about us so much. And Lord, there are those that are, are just, they have the pit in their stomach, they were almost in tears Um, God, they they just feel so guilty and they're carrying this burden alone. And God, You want to redeem the past. You want to help them look forward to a bright future in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we know that they cannot undo what they have done. But You do offer us forgiveness. You offer to purify us from all unrighteousness. Because You are faithful and just. And Lord, we are called as people to accept Your forgiveness, to repent and confess our area of sin and to move forward in righteousness in a righteous walk with You. And so God, I pray for those that are maybe struggling with that this morning. Lord, some of us, we haven't made that mistake yet, but we are on the fence. We're right on the edge of disaster. And Lord, these words that we heard from You this morning, to flee from it, We need to go home. We need to unfriend somebody. We need to quit talking to somebody. We need to quit texting somebody. We need to quit secretly meeting with somebody. And we need to bring this part of our lives under the Lordship of Jesus Christ so that You can do Your greatest work in our hearts. And so that You can protect us from all of the consequences of this area of sin. So God, this morning as we sing this song together, I just pray, God, you would lead us to repentance. That you would lead us to your love and your grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the second chance of the cross. Because God, some of us, that's what we need. We, we need a second chance. God, this is a great time to respond during this song. So I just pray you continue to do your work in our hearts and our minds. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.